Hey everyone, it's Marielle. And before we get to the show, I want to warn you. What you are about to hear contains explicit language, adult themes, and may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is strongly advised. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this special Valentine's Day bonus episode. It's just me, Marielle, today. Amanda's busy, and this was kind of like a last-minute thing. So I wanted to do this special Valentine's Day bonus episode, but the story I'm about to tell you is actually not that of a woman convicted of a capital crime. Rather, since this is a bonus episode, I kind of strayed from the theme and... Most folks will be celebrating a made-up holiday, and so I chose to tell you the story of a murder that occurred on Valentine's Day 2013. And for our single listeners, by the end of this episode, you might be more thankful to to not be dating or in a relationship. This is a story that highlights something all too common intimate partner violence or domestic violence. I'm about to tell you the story of the murder of Reva Steenkamp by her boyfriend, the Olympic runner Oscar Pistorius. And since this is a crime that occurred just 20 years after the end of apartheid in South Africa and Southwest Africa. Apartheid was a system of institutionalized racial segregation that existed in South Africa and Southwest Africa from 1948 until just as recent as the early 1990s. Like when some of us were born, like millennials, we were being born and Apartheid was still institutionalized in these countries. And, you know, we love Nelson Mandela, but unfortunately, the wounds of apartheid are still deep and they still fester and they do play a role in this case. And this is a case that had a lot of, you know, courtroom drama and it riveted the world. However, the fate of Oscar Pistorius's outcome of his trial is in the hands of someone from the other side of South Africa, Judge Tokasile Matilda Masipa, who is a quiet, stern, 66-year-old black woman who steadfastly avoided the limelight even as she rose from poor township to the nation's high court. A former newspaper reported she was once arrested during a protest and ordered by her white jailers to clean her cell's filthy toilet. She began studying law at the height of apartheid and became a lawyer in her 40s. A former newspaper colleague said, Whoever thought that one day a black woman would be standing judge over a white boy? When the trial began, Judge Masipo sat at an intersection of two powerful problems in South Africa, violence against women and racial tensions. She listened to Mr. Pistorius' lawyers knit together a defense that rests in part on white South Africa's deep-rooted fear of black men invading their homes. And so, let's get to the story. Reva Rebecca Steenkamp was born in Cape Town to parents Barry Steenkamp, a horse trainer, and his second 
wife, June, also a horse trainer. She had two older half-siblings from her parents' respective previous marriages. The family later moved to Port Elizabeth, where she attended St. Dominic's Priory School. After school, she studied law at the University of Port Elizabeth, which became a part of Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University. She graduated with a Bachelor of Laws degree in 2005. After university, Reva worked as a paralegal and as a model. She applied to the bar in late 2011 and hoped to be a qualified legal advocate by the age of 30. Reva began modeling at the age of 14. She was a finalist in the Weekend Post Faces of the Future competition in 2004 and in the Herald Miss Port Elizabeth contest in 2005. She appeared in For Him magazine as a model and cover girl and was the first face of Avon Cosmetics in South Africa. She also modeled for a jewelry company, Sivana Diamonds. She was ranked number 40 in the For Him magazine 100 Sexiest Women in the World poll of South Africa. For Him Only Readers in 2011 and number 45 in 2012. Her style icon was Marc Jacobs. She was a celebrity face of the Spirit Day anti-bullying campaign in 2012. Reva once worked as the live roaming presenter for fashion TV in South Africa. She starred in television advertisements for a range of products, including Toyota Land Cruiser, Clover the One, Reds, and Outdoor Pin Pop. She featured as a celebrity contestant on the BBC lifestyle show Baking Made Easy in 2012. Reva was a keen horse rider until she broke her back in a fall in her early 20s and had to learn to walk again. On the South African celebrity circuit, she was a regular A-list guest at red carpet events and noted socialite on the Johannesburg party scene. Reva had been dating Oscar Pistorius, a South African Olympic and Paralympic runner since November 2012 until till her death. Oscar Leonard Carl Pistorius was born on November 22, 1986 in Santin-Johannesburg. He grew up in a Christian home. He had an older brother, Carl, and a younger sister, Amy. He credits his mother, who died at the age of 43, when he was just 40, I mean, when he was 15 years old, as a major influence in his life. Pistorius is a white South African with Italian ancestry from his maternal great-grandfather, who was an Italian immigrant to Kenya, Oscar Pistorius was born with fibular hemimelia, which is a congenital absence of the fibula bone in both legs. When he was 11 months old, both of his legs were amputated halfway between his knees and ankles. He attended Constantia Kloof Primary School and Pretoria Boys High School, where he played rugby. He played water polo and tennis. Um, he took part in wrestling. No one gives a shit about this. I'm skipping his whatever the fuck accomplishments. After a serious rugby injury in June 2003 is when he was 
introduced to running. And eventually he was fitted for suitable running blades, which I'm sure a lot of you have seen pictures of him when he competed with those running blades. But anyways, let's get to Valentine's Day 2013. So Riva's boyfriend, Oscar Pistorius, shot her four times through the locked door of his bathroom while she was staying in his home. Pistorius acknowledged that he shot Steenkamp four times, causing her death, because he said that he mistook her for a possible intruder. Sure, Jan. The trial for murder began on March 3rd, 2014, in the Pretoria High Court. On May 28, 2014, the trial proceedings were adjourned until June 30th to enable Pistorius to undergo psychiatric evaluation to establish whether he could be held criminally responsible for shooting his girlfriend. So Judge Masipa agreed to a request for the evaluation by Prosecutor Jerry Nell. After forensic psychiatrist Mel Vorster testified for the defense that she had diagnosed Pistorius with his anxiety disorder, on June 30th, 2014, the trial resumed after the evaluation reports said that, yeah, he can be held criminally responsible. The state prosecutor was quoted as saying, Mr. Pistorius did not suffer from a mental illness or defect that would have rendered him not criminally responsible for the offense charge. The defense closed its case on July 8th and closing arguments were heard on August 8th. On September 12th, Pistorius was found guilty of culpable homicide. On October 21st, 2014, he was sentenced to five years in jail, but only served 10 months. In December 2015, the Supreme Court of Appeals overturned the culpable homicide verdict and found Pistorius guilty of murder. On July 6, 2016, Judge Masipa sentenced Pistorius to six years in prison for for murder, despite there being a minimum sentence of 15 years in South Africa. On November 24, 2017, the Court of Appeal extended Oscar Pistorius' jail term to 13 years and five months. Reva Steenkamp and Anine Boyson, both young South African women killed in 2013, were named South Africa's Persons of the Year 2013 by the Daily Maverick. So in February 2014, there was a half-hour documentary special about Reva's life titled Reva, The Model You Thought You Knew. And then in September... 2014, there was a broadcast of an episode of Special Assignment titled Oscar Pistorius, The Verdict. And this program highlighted the missing white woman syndrome media phenomenon in South Africa. Given the disproportionate coverage of the trial versus the Lee Matthews murder trial with the coverage relating to the deaths of black women Zanele Kumalo and Betty Katani, who both were murdered in similar circumstances and at you know the same time as Riva's murder. And actually, shortly before Riva's death, she had been an advocate for bringing the attention of domestic violence and murder against black women and the disparities between the coverage of crimes against black women and basically 
the apathy people have for crimes against black women versus when it's a white victim, which, I mean, seems to be a problem in most developed countries. At the time of her death, Reva was signed up to appear on season five of the reality TV program Tropica Island of Treasure and had filmed the series episodes on location in Jamaica. The screening of the series began airing as scheduled on February 16, 2013, two days after her death. The first episode of the series was dedicated to Reva and was preceded by a video tribute to her. Following the murder charge, sponsors were initially hesitant to abandon Oscar Pistorius, but after a week, sponsors began to withdraw their report. I mean, their support. <laughs> so, you know, Oscar... Pistorius always maintained that he was acting in self-defense because he thought there was an intruder in the home, blah, blah, blah. And so I want to tell you about what one of his ex-girlfriends, Samantha Taylor, told in an interview of 2020, even before the verdict was delivered. So when news of Reva's death broke, Samantha Taylor, who was 20, said she received many rest in peace messages because people thought it was her. And she said it was a real shock. She said she dated Pistorius before he began dating Reva. At his murder trial, she served as a valuable witness for the prosecution because she said parts of Pistorius' story about what happened the night that he murdered Reva didn't ring true. She said, there were things that didn't match up to my experience staying at his house. For example, Pistorius claimed, oops, Pistorius claimed during his testimony that the bedroom was pitch black, so he couldn't see when Reva got up to go to the bathroom. However, Samantha said he didn't typically keep his room dark. Quote, he usually slept with the curtains fairly open. He always had some light coming in. Coming in. And although Pistorius did startle easily, Samantha said he always asks her about any sudden noises and found it odd that he didn't make any physical contact or say anything to to Reva before shooting through a bathroom door the night she was killed. Samantha Taylor was just 17 years old when she first met the then 24-year-old Pistorius at a rugby match in 2010. And she said, when I met him, I actually didn't know who he was. He was very charming. He was a really good guy. You know, he was very respectful and very kind. However, over time, she said that Pistorius would get angry at her for little things, such as not taking her plate to the kitchen. He could be jealous and possessive. She said, he used to often look through my phone and ask me who my friends were. I think he had that control over who's in my life and who's not. She said it was his decision of who that would be. So life with Pistorius... Life with Pistorius was living on the edge. She said that she recalled when he would drive his cars 200 miles per hour on the highway just to scare her. She said that he always carried a gun. He had a passion for guns, and it was natural that the gun was there. It was a part of him, she said. And she mentioned one incident when she was in the backseat of the car with Pistorius and a friend, and they'd been pulled over. He had his gun under the seat and the officer was like, you know, you can't have your gun 
um, open like that. I think it was something like it needs to be in a case or something. However, he pushed back and was like, you can't tell me what to do with my gun, blah, 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 blah. And then drove off and fired his gun out of the sunroof. She said it was really loud and she was scared, but him and his friend just laughed. Of course, um, Pistorius' spokesperson declined to comment for this story. She said there were also times when Pistorius was an emotional wreck. She said she heard him cry about 300 times and it was really strange to her because she hasn't really heard men cry so much, which I think a lot of us can say that. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with showing emotion. And if Amanda was here, she could probably say this better, but it's not a sign of a mentally stable person if they're crying over, you know, say someone who's not doing what they want them to do or in, you know, a maybe even in a manipulative way or just because he was mentally unstable and didn't have control of his emotions. And so things impacted him more severely and, you know, whatever. Hopefully you know what I'm trying to say. Um, Samantha's mother, Trish Taylor, said she had become close to Pistorius over the course of his relationship with her daughter, even taking on an unexpected maternal role of him. In the book, An Accident Waiting to Happen, co-written with Melinda Ferguson, Trish Taylor described that Pistorius had a dark side. In July 2012, Pistorius wrote an email to Samantha and Trish Trish Taylor saying, there are often very dark areas that haunt you. Most of my adult life, I have had moments that I sabotage the good that I have. This is like when he was trying to win her back at one moment, when, at one short period of time when they'd broken up. Um, her mom said that he would sometimes explode with fits of anger. She could hear him screaming at Samantha over the phone. During his Olympic training, her mom even said he, she even suggested that he seek counseling and sent him links to like meditation websites, blah, blah, blah. I thought, what if he commits suicide? I was getting really worried about him. He made all these promises on how he's going to see a psychologist, how he was going to change his life and everything was going to change. But Samantha said, when we got back together, nothing changed. And worst of all, like she discovered that he had been cheating on her. And, you know, of course, he was demanding that she give details of anyone she may have been romantic with during their breakup, which she was like with some rich ass mogul from South Africa. She was dating this guy who was nice to her, blah, blah, blah. But as we do in abusive relationships where we go back, they, you know, the, they're manipulative. So fast forward, she said, I think a relationship was mostly lies. From what I know now or what I found out, there were definitely a lot of other women in his life at the same time as me. She claimed that they were not officially broken up when Pistorius showed up on television at an awards ceremony with Reva as his date. Reva, I mean, sorry. And she said she's making peace with the way he treated her. Our relationship, it wasn't easy. I'm getting there. I think it's a journey. 
So now I want to read you this great opinion piece that was written by Margie Orford for The Guardian. And basically she says, There was no threat in that home. There had been no crime on the secure estate where Pistorius lived until he shot Riva. What was this state of terror that legitimized in his mind the use of lethal force in a place designed like a fortress? Reva Steenkamp's killing showed once more, as if we needed reminding, that home is almost always the most dangerous place for a woman. Femicide is a common crime in South Africa. Hundreds of women are killed by their partners each year. Almost none of them makes it to the front page. It was Pistorius's success and his fall and his fall from grace. His celebrity turned the spotlight away from Reva's murder. The gruesome detritus that was evidence of an uncontained male rage. Pistorius was not guilty of femicide, the terminal point of domestic violence, but... What we saw in the Pistorius trial is how this heedless, hidden violence manifests itself. South African women and their children are all too often the collateral damage in a seemingly endless cycle of male violence that did not end with apartheid. South Africa was defined by casual, everyday social violence that was not a byproduct of apartheid, but its defining feature, and it's endured and thrived in the two decades since. This is not to blame apartheid for Pistorius' action. It's just a way of pointing out that the bullying, the brutality, the heedlessness remains with us, alive and present and deadly. This violence ranges from the vicious gang warfare that plagues many poor townships to the shocking levels of drink drunk driving fatalities to negligent use of firearms. Pistorius was unpleasant to watch on the stand. He failed to accept any responsibility for his actions. The whimpering, vomiting spectacle, the snot running out of his nose. He presented, sat uneasily with the stature he'd reached as an Olympic champion who had succeeded against all odds. The, the additional gun convictions against him showed the reckless and macho behavior that is chillingly familiar to all of us or all of those who live in South Africa. It was not guilty for the prosecution to build a picture of Pistorius, once the iconic Blade Runner as a narcissistic, controlling, and selfish man whose love of guns, fast cars, and risk overrode any consideration for the safety of others. This aggressively swaggering masculinity is one that colors the social and political landscape of South Africa. It is, as Reva learned, by making this fatal female error of being in the wrong place at the wrong time, pervasive, toxic, and legal. And that is the story. Well, I hope this was a good little distraction for anyone who needed one on this bullshit made up holiday um even if you don't agree with that sentiment i hope you enjoyed we'll be back next week with a regular episode amanda will of course be with me thank you for listening um you know the usual links in the show notes to social media um there will be pictures Re, uh, related to this story posted, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you. We appreciate you. We love you. Also, we'll be announcing the winner of our contest. If you didn't see that, it's on our social media. 
on Instagram. You can, it's like super easy. Tag two friends, share the post, and you could win an Echo Dot, which are amazing. My, my Echo Dot with Alexa has basically changed my life. I'm obsessed. I don't even care if someone's spying on me or hacking into my shit. I'm like, this is amazing. They're not going to hear anything interesting anyways. So whatever. Um, Happy Valentine's Day or not. And uh, have a good weekend. Enjoy yourselves. Stay safe. Bye.